A big thank you to uh, Austin for that reading this morning. Um, great to hear from the Gospel of John, which is where we're going to be spending some time this morning. Um, we're in this series, Epiphany, uh, the season of Epiphany, and in the series, which is uh, called Look to the Light. And it's helping us indeed do that, just do that, and look to the light that is Christ in our lives. That is the whole purpose of the season of Epiphany, to to make known, to make manifest. It's a, a great revealing, and um, the church celebrates Epiphany in a sense to uh, help us look to the light uh, of Christ. Um, helps us to build a bridge between Jesus' life and our lives through, through the act and the practice of paying attention, of looking for the light. So my prayer, our prayers during this season has been that this Epiphany series would indeed be a way of speaking something new to us, especially as it interacts with our lives today in uh, 2021, all that we're living through at this time. And indeed, that Christ would be revealed. That's my prayer this morning, that Jesus the Christ would be revealed to us in a new way. And so the story we've heard this morning is our gospel reading in, uh, in John, and it's a somewhat remarkable story. Here we have Jesus, who's around 30 years old. He's been baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist, like we heard last week. And he has begun the work and the mission and the purpose that his life is about. And he's begun that work with the words of his father ringing in his ears that we heard about last week. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And so the mission has begun and it continues. And here we are in John chapter two. And the writer of this uh, gospel is, is John and he's hinting a lot of things in this passage and throughout the whole gospel. He's trying to get us to look to the light, to pay attention to this man, Jesus, and his mission and what he is about. And so maybe we can pay attention today as we look at this story to uh, what John says in verse 11 are the signs, the signs that are in the story that point to what this Jesus is all about. Firstly, the story begins with these words, on the third day, I wonder where we've heard those words before, on the third day. Again, that's a, a little sign. It's a little hint of somewhere where this, this story's gonna take us. We know, of course, where it will take us. On the third day, Jesus is at a wedding in Cana, or sorry, called, in, in a place called Cana in Galilee with his mother and with some of his earliest disciples. And there's a party going, there's a celebration going, and... Um, suddenly disaster strikes. Certainly it's, it's, it's disaster for a party. It's a disaster for a wedding. The wine runs out. Um, and interestingly, this is indeed one of only two occasions in the Gospel of John when we actually meet Jesus' mother. The other place we meet Jesus' mother is in chapter 19 at the foot of the cross. And this is important because Jesus has a strange remark in verse four. He says, my time hasn't come yet. And he looks on and as you look through um, uh, the stories of, of, of John and as you arrive to Jesus um, at the cross, that is his time. And at last his time comes when he does make his way to the cross and his glory is revealed as he dies on the cross and he has come into his time. And that event for John, I guess, is the ultimate water to wine moment when Christ is crucified on the cross, when it takes all the faith in the world to see the glory hidden in the shame of the cross, 
the creative word of God present as a weak and dying human being. And it's a moment when heaven and earth meet. But we're jumping a little bit ahead. It's just interesting that it's at this wedding in, in, in Cana and at, at the cross, at the foot of the cross, at the only two moments in John where we see um, the mother of Jesus. Um, we find ourselves at the wedding. It's the third day um, when weddings take, would take place in that culture. And again, the, the imagery of the wedding in this story is a signpost. It's pointing to something. It's pointing, in a sense, to the words that we find in Revelation where the wedding is like a foretaste of the great heavenly feast that the prophets have spoken about that was going to be in store for God's people when God's kingdom would come and he would throw a feast for his people. Um, it would be like a wedding banquet. And so here we have Jesus at a wedding and it's signposting a future feast and a future banquet when the kingdom of God fully comes. We have water jars in the story. You, again, water jars were used for Jewish purification rites and they were a sign that God was doing something uh, to purify us and, and indeed something new from within the old Jewish system. He was bringing a purification to God's people, to Israel, and indeed a whole new way of living. So there's signposts all over this story that we've just read. We've got the third day, we've got a wedding, we've got water jars, and they're all signifying and signposting who this Jesus is and what he's about. Now, the wedding was uh, probably going to involve the whole, the whole village. The whole village would be there. Other people from neighboring villages would be there. And in the culture at that time, to run out of wine would have been not just an inconvenience um, like it would for us, but indeed it would be like a social disaster. It would be a, a disgrace. The family would have to live with the shame of that um, for a long time to come. The bride and the, the groom uh, may indeed uh, regard it as perhaps bringing them bad luck on their wedding day. It just was something you did not want to happen. You did not want the wine to run out at a wedding. And so here we have this story, and Jesus is totally aware. He's been made aware of the predicament. And after um, saying, my time has not yet come, he then begins to have compassion on the situation, and he quietly instructs the servants to fill the jars, the water jars, with water and instructs them to take the water jars into the party. And when the jars, when the servants do that and the jars arrive in the party, suddenly they are filled with wine and a totally miraculous moment has happened, a totally miraculous event. And here we see the first miracle of Jesus' ministry and it's done, um, I guess firstly we want to reflect on that, it's done quietly. It's done quietly because the master of the banquet, he just assumes that this wine has been brought out um, from storage, that the bridegroom had provided it, and he, they've just brought it out. And other than a few of Jesus' friends and other than the servants themselves, no one really realizes that this compassionate miracle has taken place in their midst where jars of water have transformed into the richest wine. And indeed, the disgrace and the shame of a celebration ruined has been completely saved and turned around. Secondly, here's another consideration to make about this story. The wine that Jesus has produced is not just average wine, but indeed it's the best wine of the night. We know that because the master of the banquet heaps praise on the bridegroom and says, well, indeed, normally you would get uh, the best wine at the start of a party, 
at the start of a feast, at the start of a wedding, and you would save the average wine until people are a little merry and, are all, and the party's already going and all of that. But here, Jesus has made the, the best wine and the master of the banquet recognizes this and he praises the, bag, the bridegroom for saving the best wine until last. Amazing miracle. And maybe it will help us look to the light this morning to point to something in the person of Jesus, in the story of Jesus that might speak to us this morning. Here's the thing. The more we get to know Jesus in the Gospels, the more we realize that these kinds of things happen when Jesus is in the room. This story is the first of several signs in the Gospel of John where you might want to say, heaven opened and the transforming power of God burst into the present world. Something new happens, a miracle where heaven meets earth. This is, of course, after all, the whole message of John, the divine entering into the world, the Word, capital W, made flesh, God with us, heaven on earth, anotherly kingdom breaking into the kingdom of this world. This is the big story of John. Something new has come and heaven is being brought to earth. God is with us. God is here. God is walking among us. So the water to wine story is not, it's not just a sign, but it's a reality. And it's a reality of heaven breaking into earth, the kingdom of God coming to earth like the prophets prophesied. And it's the kind of thing we should expect when we hang around with Jesus at parties, when Jesus is in the room, because this is a story ultimately about transformation. And in a sense, that's probably the big idea this morning, that as we look to Jesus, what we see revealed is a God who is in the business of transformation. N.T. Wright describes this as a different dimension of reality that comes into being when Jesus is present. A different dimension of reality that comes into being when Jesus is present. So as we learn to pay attention during Epiphany to what Christ might reveal to us, we should know this, that water changing to wine reveals to us and reminds us again that things can be transformed when Jesus is in the room. Anything can be transformed when Jesus is in the room. And when we mean anything, we mean anything because we know as the story has signposted on the third day, at the end of Jesus' life, Jesus himself, when he enters into his time, the fullness of his ministry, he enters into death itself only to be resurrected on the third day. Death itself is transformed from an ending into a beginning. Like water to wine, death to life, shame to honor, disgrace to celebration, famine to feast. Anything can be transformed when Jesus is in the room, when Jesus is around. This Christ has come to bring transformation. 
And this transformation from water to wine in John in this story of a wedding in Cana is a small story, but it's the start of Jesus' ministry, and it signifies the effect that Jesus can have and can still have on people's lives, on my life, on your life, on our lives. He came, as, he said, as it says later in the Gospel of John in, in chapter 10, verse 10, he came to bring life and to bring life to the full. Like Jesus' wine was the best wine at the party, the kind of life that Jesus brings is the sweetest and the richest and the fullest of lives. He brings life. He brings life. Maybe you want to pray with this in your memory, in your mind, and at the front of your thoughts this morning. When you think about the dreams in your heart, maybe some of the difficulties or the disappointments or the fears that you're carrying at the moment, remember that when Jesus is in the room, when Jesus is around us, when Jesus is in our lives, that anything can happen. I think this should encourage us this morning and bring hope and bring faith that no matter the hole we're in, no matter the rut we're in, no matter the circumstances we find ourselves, I continue to believe today that Jesus changes lives. He brings transformation. He brings change. It is what he does best. At times that change can take a lifetime. At times that change can take a moment. But when we invite Jesus into the room of our lives, anything can change. Anything can happen. Broken things can be made whole, can be made beautiful again. This story of Jesus turning water to wine, in a sense, is a story that reminds us of the bigger story of God, which is a story of abundance, not scarcity. It's a story of life that never runs dry. We, we read about that in the psalm at the start of the morning, uh, Psalm 36, that the love of God is the fountain of life, that it never runs dry. It's constantly flowing. God is a source of life and life to the full, the sweetest and richest and best, much like the wine that Jesus produced. I guess we need to grapple with that this morning. We embrace that this morning. We need to let that encourage our hearts this morning. Things can change, and they can change even when we least expect it. I woke up this morning, and um, I walked over to the window, and I drew the curtains and, and opened the blinds, and I could not believe the scene outside, the snow that had covered what was really a, looking like a, a pretty bleak winter scene was suddenly covered in snow and looking beautiful, looking pristine, looking, looking fresh, looking new. It was so unexpected. I, I didn't know that it was coming. I don't know if anyone did, but I certainly wasn't aware of the weather forecast or anything like that. And yet I woke up to this beauty just all around. I'm going to claim that image of a snow-covered city this morning as a little bit of a, a prophetic sign itself because I really do believe, like that snowfall, that heaven can fall can break in and can bring a freshness, can bring newness, can bring, can bring a purification, can bring a peace, can bring a new start.
perhaps we need some water turned to wine in our lives. Perhaps in Redeemer, in this church community, we, maybe the wine has run out a little. Maybe we need the water to be turned into wine. Maybe the best is yet to come. Maybe it's ahead of us. Maybe as we invite Jesus in, water can turn to wine. He can do it, and he loves to do it. Jesus brings the party, the celebration, the feast, and the sweetness of new life. So, Redeemer, if you're uh, listening along at home today, and you're, maybe you're in your kitchen or your living room, wherever you're at, and maybe like me, uh, the news of the lockdown being extended and some of the news around the world, though there's hope with the vaccine and, and other things, there's an awful lot going on in our world and an awful lot that is making us tired it's got us in a little bit of a rut. It's got us a little stale, perhaps, a little weary, and rightly so. But this morning, I guess, as we look for the light during Epiphany, I guess, we're reminded that the longing for more that is inside me, that is maybe inside you, the longing for more is a, is a divine desire put in us. And perhaps as we come to Jesus this morning, we can invite him to touch our lips with the sweet wine of his kingdom or like the snowfall of freshness and new start. The taste, the goodness of God to be filled up to full life again. And he right reminds us that we should remember that this transformation only actually comes when the servants took seriously the words of Mary, the words of Mary were, do whatever he tells you. The words of Mary to the servants were, do whatever he tells you. So we're reminded that as we long for more, as we hope for transformation or change, a new start, that we have a role to play. There's a cooperation with God that is required of us. And it's a simple one. Do we need water turned to wine? Do we need Jesus' transforming presence in the room? He is so ready and so willing to turn and to make beauty out of ashes, to bring light in the darkness, to bring life from death, new starts from dead ends. But the question, I guess, to us is, are we willing to cooperate? Are we willing to invite him into the room of our lives? Are we willing to have his presence in the room of our lives? Augustine famously said that without God, it won't. Sorry, without God, it can't happen. But without us, it won't happen. In a sense, that is the story of Christianity, that we simply give our yes to God, that we take up the invitation and we simply have a posture of openness, that we say yes to the invitation that Christ gives us to bring rest, to bring life to our weary souls. So I guess that's our prayer this epiphany. That as Christians, we can say yes to God. Maybe, maybe this morning is a moment to give our yes to God again. Maybe, maybe we're finding ourselves in a little bit of a hole or a rut, or maybe we're reflective of that bleak winter scene, and perhaps we need a fresh pouring out or falling down of heaven and into our lives, a refreshing, a newness, a little bit like the snowfall this morning. Maybe it's 
an opportunity for us to have a fresh start with God, just to say yes again to God, to invite him to transform us and change us into the likeness of Christ, to bring the water and make it sweet wine. That's our prayer. That's our hope. I don't know about you, but I was, I was brought up in a, in a Christian home and I was given this story that seemed just so small and so limited that the gospel was really just about sin management, that we were sinful and that God wanted to fix it, that Jesus was simply an, a part of an equation to take our sins away so that we would be taken away to a nirvana-like heaven. What I realized, I had questions about that kind of story. I had questions like what that story had to do with injustice and poverty and illness and disease and viruses that cause global pandemics. What did that sort of sin removal story have to do with our bodies and our homes and our livelihoods and our relationships and our environment and our world. It seemed like such a small story for such a small amount of people that would be so lucky to be able to take up that invitation. And yet I began, perhaps by the Holy Spirit and the curiosity to realize that the story of God was so much bigger and vaster than what we could ever imagine. That indeed, the story of God is, is much more than bringing just a little bit of respite or a little bit of um, sin removal or a little bit of purification, but the scriptures talk about the remaking of all things, the bringing of shalom, the bringing of peace, the bringing of life, the complete bringing of beauty out of brokenness that has everything to do with the here and now, it has everything to do with justice and the has everything to do with our relationships with one another, has everything to do with the peace that we can have before God and with ourselves and with our neighbors, has everything to do with our world and our environment and our bodies and our families and our vocations and our work and our world. This is a gospel that is so much bigger than simply just an equation to take sin away and take us to heaven. This is, the gospel is about shalom. It's about mending and bringing life and putting everything back together in harmony. And in a sense, this story of water to wine is a signpost to that kind of vision of the world. And I trust this morning, no matter your circumstances, that indeed this story would remind you that transformation is possible, that hope is real in Christ, and He is the light that shines in the darkness. And when he is in the room, anything is possible. Anything can happen. We can be changed and mended and beauty can come from ashes. That's my, that's my message this morning and that's my hope. And I hope that that longing inside you, uh, as you, as you listen to these words, will help you to open up your heart and give your yes to participate with this story and with this God and with the Spirit of God that wants to come and bring that kind of healing and hope and that new start and that little bit of heaven breaking in to your world today. I'm reminded of the, a prophecy in the book of Joel which speaks about the kind of mended world, the kind of world that is at peace that is at shalom, where everything is in its right place, where there is the fullness of uh, God's wine um, flowing 
life to the full. And this is what the, the book of Joel says. It says, and in that day, the mountains will drip with sweet wine and the hills will flow with milk and all the brooks of Judah will flow with water and a spring will go out from the house of the Lord. That's the big picture of what God's doing in the world. But I pray, as I've been saying, that as we look to the light in our personal lives and in 2021, as we live through this pandemic and all that's going on on top of that, that indeed we would be encouraged that God is in the business of mending us and of bringing newness and of bringing the sweet wine and the richness of his presence, the richness of his love to our lives if we give our yes to him. Uh, I trust that that's encouraging, encouraging to you this morning. Um, Gillian Stewart, uh, she wrote something so beautiful over the Christmas period, and I think it's so perfect for this epiphany season. And I've invited Gillian to share this piece of writing that she has put down on paper about the Christ being the light in the darkness in this epiphany season. And so Gillian is going to lead us in that now. I'm going to hand over to her. Hopefully you can use that as a response to all that we've thought about this morning. Good morning, Redeemer family. Um, it's great to have the opportunity to share with you this morning. Um, just before um, Christmas, um, I wrote a, a poem, a liturgy, um, called Light in the Darkness. And um, I, I pray that the words, um, these words just really encourage you this morning. Um, in the midst of all that we are facing, to know that the light of Christ is with us and the light of Christ is within us and that his light is more powerful um, than the darkness. So I invite you, if you feel you want to read the, along this morning the words of, of this, um, feel free to do that. But also feel free to just allow these words to minister to your heart this morning and to encourage you um, in these days. Um, so this is called The Light in the Darkness. His breath filled all things with a living, breathing light, a light that thrives in the depths of darkness. His light will always shine and never fade away, a light that is always brighter than the darkness that surrounds us or tries to overwhelm us. His light shines, his light shines in us, his light shines through us, a light so powerful it causes the darkness to flee. His light is always more powerful than the darkness. Jesus Christ is the light of the world and darkness and death have not overcome him. We have nothing to fear, even though we may see it. We are to fear no evil, even though we may sense it. For he has already overcome it all. His light shall always shine brighter than the darkness. It has never stopped shining. It has never grown dim or faded away. It burns like a fire. It lights up the sky by day and the moon and stars by night. The whole cosmos is alive with the light of his presence and his light shall always invade the darkness. His light shall always push back the darkness. It has always been present in the now moments. The light of Christ shall always be made known to the world. For one day every eye shall see, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the light of the world. Through the pain, through the sorrow, through the grief, through the loss, his light will always pave a way through the storm. Through the darkest of days, his light will always make a way when there seems to be no other way. His light will always reveal Christ to us and Christ within us. And even though the darkness may seem to overwhelm us, his word will be a lamp unto our feet. 
His light shall shine in the darkness. Do not try to hide it. People need to see the light of Christ. Let his words comfort you. Let his love embrace you. Let his light lead you. Let hope restore you, the hope that is already within you. For his hope will always be there, even when we feel hopeless. His hope will always sustain us, even when pain and grief overwhelm us. His hope has never left us. His hope has always been with us. His hope shall sustain us. Let your light shine in the darkness. Let your light lead us through the pathway we've never been before. Burn like a fire within us. Let hope be restored. For this light and hope has always been with us. Be blessed this morning, Redeemer and be the light of Christ.